Maybe I'm crazy, but I'm looking for a bad marriage like Will and Jada. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Welcome to Maybe I'm Crazy Podcast. I'm Joy Taylor. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Hope you are healthy and well going through all this this craziness. So thanks for taking time for us. We are going to enter the NBA bubble. Mark Medina, USA Today Sports is currently quarantined in the NBA bubble in Orlando at Disney. And he is talking to players and coaches. And he talks a little bit about, you know, his experience as a reporter being in the bubble as well. So his testing and all of that. So we'll talk to him in just a few minutes. Make sure you follow him on social media, Instagram at Medina Syracuse and on Twitter at Mark G underscore Medina. He'll be having good stuff from the bubble all throughout. We got the crazy gang crew. Heller's not with us this week, but we got T with the culture report, which we will be talking about Will and Jada. And we'll catch up with Donnie and Heike Loki as well. But let's get started with Mark. All right, very excited. We are entering the NBA bubble. Mark Medina is in the NBA bubble for USA Today. Um, so you're in your room. Thanks for joining us. Joy, thanks for having me. Much respect. Always always love catching up with you. Yes, it's good to see you again. Um, you were on the herd yesterday giving us a little bit of information on what it's like inside the bubble, which I really, I really want a different name for the bubble, but I haven't come up with a better... A better term for it. It's, it's got it's got to be Disney brand, right? Right. We're in Disney. I mean, I've been doing like it's a small world after all, <laughs> a whole new world, Aladdin. Very we're good. Going magic carpet ride. I mean, what what other cliche or Disney phrases can we come up with here? Well, so you're there through the through the entirety, right? As long as this is going on. Um, you know, Joy, it's fluid uh, because – so my colleague Jeff Zilgit, he also covers the NBA with me. In theory, we're planning to split the trip because it's a long trip. Uh, but there is also a chance I might have to be here the long haul. I'm, I'm at least here for the beginning of it. And then I think like with everything going on in the world, it's just you see how it plays out. Take it one day at a time and not prepare for anything. But so that said, you've mentally prepared for the possibility that you're there through – the championship without a doubt and and you know i, I gotta give my employer say today a lot of credit like there was zero pressure of like feeling like you're obligated to go i mean they're they're obviously sensitive to health to any personal obligation just being there the whole time and look there's no such thing as anything risk-free the nba uh has kind of characterized this as the best of bad options but for me I've been taking it seriously. It's all real. You got to wear masks. You got to respect social distancing rules. But I felt like, uh, you know, as long as I'm there, I'm almost in a safer environment than anywhere else because I'm getting tested every day. I'm quarantined for a week. Once I'm out of quarantine, I can't really go anywhere much except for the practice facility and games. And so I think if a worst case scenario happens, I would be under the best supervision because there's a lot of uh, health officials here and I'm going to be tested every day. So yeah, you're kind of in the safest place in the world to be in right now. Yeah. How about this? The safest place on earth. Is that, <laughs> this, is that okay. One? So you're in the safest place on earth. Um, <laughs> but you, you, I mean, you are like this, it's really, I have a lot of respect for what you guys are doing. Any of the reporters that are in the bubble and obviously the players 
who are going into this because, you know, we're all dealing with this pandemic and the anxiety of obviously possibly catching it or giving it to someone else and, you know, the economic pressures of it and everything else. But there's a huge mental health aspect to being quarantined on top of all those other anxieties. I mean, you're going to be in this room not to add <laughs> any kind of daunting uh, energy to you, but I do think it's crazy. Like I, I would really have to mentally prepare myself to go into quarantine in a hotel room for seven days. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very real issue. And thankfully for me, I mean, look, everyone's been going through different struggles during this pandemic. So it's not like, oh, every day is great. But for the most part, at least for me, I mean, I'm blessed that I've been fully healthy. Family, friends have been healthy. I'm still working, got a full-time job. So that that certainly helps. But on top of that, I, I've tried over the years, even before the pandemic, to, to do a lot of things that kind of help with mental strength and just getting through things. So just exercising regularly, dieting, you know, just meditation, you know, Christian faith, all that good stuff, being grateful for the good in the world. Uh, and, you know, not by being naive to like all the things that are bad, but trying to put everything in the, the perspective where you're not downplaying the bad because it's all real, but you're also trying to, to be in tune of there's still a lot of good things. So I think with that, because I've already been kind of stuck in quarantine in LA where, you know, I'm allowed to go outside, but I'm mostly just at my place, working, doing Zoom calls, this transition's been fairly seamless. Like the only difference is I can't go outside of my room. Like I am on the whims of the MBA folks delivering the meals. And that's been a little bit of an inconvenience because of the timing. But, you know, as I was telling Colin and you the other day, like those things almost don't matter because we're in a pandemic and the inconvenience is that's just a theme we're all going through. And and I've found, at least for me, is like if you just plow through those inconveniences, like somehow it all kind of sorts out and you got through that day and that's a win and you move on to the next one. So, you know, uh, so far so good, but you, you just don't know how this is all going to play out. It's, it's unprecedented. It is. It is. And for the players, too, they're all obviously – dealing with everything that you're dealing with as well, but they have a little more flexibility to go to practice and they have some uh, activities and stuff that the NBA has set up. I think for as far as like, you know, the players being able to be mentally locked in, I think for the first, basically until it gets to the first round of the playoffs, um, it's not going to be easy, but at least it's going to be like, this is a different experience. You know, we're all going through this together. We want to get back in shape. So we're focusing on actually being able to play basketball again. And, you know, they have been quarantined with their families or whoever for a couple months now. So it's kind of a nice break to get into something different and get back to playing basketball. Is that kind of the, the energy that you're feeling from, from the people that you've talked to there? Yeah, I'm feeling some of that energy, but I'm also kind of feeling, you know, the dreaded expectation is because since this pandemic hit, there's always new things that come up. So I think they're also anticipating having to make do with whatever those circumstances are. So I think it's a healthy dose of cautious optimism. And, you know, I think with all this, there's so many question marks of how this is going to play out. Can the NBA successfully do it? But I know from their preparation, going through the 113-page health and safety protocols, they have covered all the obvious bases, the blind spots you never even thought of, 
health officials think the same way. And, you know, uh, Jeff Silgan and I gave it to these health officials because I'm not this medical expert, right? And they were saying, this is the most comprehensive document they've ever seen, like even more than what they've seen in the government level. And I mean, that's not a good, that's not a good praise for how the government's responded. But as far as the NBA, I think that they've done all they could, but, you know, this, this pandemic has had a way of still, you know, defeating and navigating around well thought out plans. So you just never know. So we got news yesterday that Russell Westbrook tested positive, which we had Doug Gottlieb on the show. Uh, Colin and I were kind of walking through what Doug was inferring that the rumors were why that's, you know, why Westbrook and Harden hadn't come to the bubble yet. Um, mm-hmm. Colin didn't quite get there as quickly as I did <laughs> as far as to what uh, Doug was inferring. But then a few moments later, Westbrook said that he, he did, in fact, test positive. What are you hearing about Harden? Well, you know, we're not naive. You can connect the obvious dots. But until you know, you don't, at least for me, I, I don't, like, think it's fair for them to speculate. But he hasn't been here. Right. And neither has Luke Bamute. You know, the Rockets, uh, they're acknowledging, look, you're losing your two stars right now. But Mike D'Antoni, the Rockets coach, has been clinging to how the calendar is now, where in theory, they have time to be able to get them in the bubble in time for the season starts, and it's not going to be significant. And that's one of the things that the NBA deserves credit for how it's structured, how it would resume the season. Like, they were anticipating a combination of positive tests, injuries, just different circumstances that would complicate these things. And so that's why they had testing start June 23rd, that first round. So in theory, for anyone test positive, they have that opportunity to join the team to go to Orlando. And for the ones that still aren't out of quarantine, they stay put so they're not compromising the bubble in Orlando. That's in Russell Westbrook's case, right? Like he's tested positive, wish him all the best, but he hasn't compromised that stuff because he didn't fly to Orlando. Now, there were two other players that did test positive and they were in Orlando, but they never left quarantine. They were always in their room. So they're going back. So I think you can make the argument that as much as you don't want these situations to happen, it has also shown that the NBA system has worked, right? So... I think for when we're breaking down with basketball, I'm very mixed on it. It's it, it hurts the Rockets, no doubt, but to what extent? I think that they're going to be back in time for the season, but even though both of those players are very well conditioned, you're losing five on five, and that it does not – you can't replicate that even with your – being in good condition right but i think the reality is other teams are going through this as well that i think you it's a rough analogy but you almost have to look at every team's depth chart right now like the stock market like it's gonna be erratic for better and for worse every single day and so to get into these definitive conclusions it's hard now that being said where i will draw the line is once the season starts then these depth charts will matter. And if there is a significant injury with a star player, then that changes the dynamic. But 
when you're having an injury like to Rajon Rondo or anyone else, there's still time for them to make up ground. And there's also awareness that you don't wish this on anyone, but other teams are going through other stuff too. So it, it kind of cancels itself out to some degree. So that being said, I've maintained that, I'm, I mean, I'm picking the Clippers because I picked the Clippers at the beginning of the season. And I do think that they have a, a great deal of depth this year. Yeah. I, I think it's impossible to predict who will win this championship because there's so many factors. Now, hypothetically, right, everyone stays healthy and there's no mid-season or beginning of the finals positive test that, you know, wrecks everything, which is what we're all hoping for. Hypothetically, I think we can look at this championship. Obviously, it's going to be different, but it's not going to be something where, like, it's an asterisk type of season. Because then we're still evaluating all these teams, all dealing with the same situation and coming back with mostly the same players that they had before the season ended. Obviously, Avery Bradley and, you know, Rondo exceptions. But if a team, like, that we weren't expecting, right, (laughs) wins a championship this year because there's a multitude of those kind of circumstances affecting the best teams, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Celtics, the Bucks. Will we look at this season differently? Will we look at this championship differently? Yeah, Joel, you had a very good distinction because I'm in the camp that right now, whoever wins the championship shouldn't get an asterisk. It's an explanation point because there's so many challenges. But um, if there is a situation where like a team their starting lineup, heaven forbid, or there's a multitude of players that either get hurt or a positive uh, test. That changes everything. Now, if it's kind of even across the board, hey, there's some injuries here, there's some tests there, it's it's almost this feeling like, hey, we're all in this together. Right. So I I think you do draw a line there, and and no doubt the team – you know, you hesitate to put this in the universe because this is people's health. But like, if, if that worst case scenario happens for a team, right. no doubt they are going to be having this, well, what if, and this isn't fair. But I think if it's the anticipated, hey, it's even across the board, then it should be considered, you know, hey, everyone won this fair and square. You don't need to put an asterisk for qualifiers. This was a tough thing to navigate and. All's, all's well that ends well. So, Colin and I were having this discussion earlier, and I don't know how to feel about it because I don't know everyone's situation, so I will only speak for myself, right? But Chris Middleton and some other players have said, like, they haven't touched a basketball in a couple months. And I'm like, uh, You know, I'm trying to think from my perspective, like, what would I do in that situation? Because, like, look, we're not talking about the average guy here. I mean, I'd love to go rent a beach house to quarantine in in Malibu, but I sign me up. Right. But I'm not rolling like that. But if I had it like that, that's where I would quarantine, right? Like for my own mental health, for the people around me, like if I can improve my quarantine situation, because I have the ability to do that um, while also doing my job, right. Then I'm going to do that. So it's kind of weird to me to hear like a lot of players haven't been able to work out because it's like uh you could get in a car and have gone to one of these states where it was open you know or just rent a house where you are 
you know, for a couple months that has a court. Like there are mansions all over this country that have come equipped with full basketball courts or at least a space where you could put in a basketball court. So it does seem kind of weird to me that some of these guys haven't touched a basketball. Are they exaggerating or am I like, am I being uh, judgy? No, I think I think it, it's uh, it's all depending on the circumstances here. For people who didn't literally touch a basketball, yeah, like that's BS. What what are you doing with the downtime? Like you got to be ready. Right. So I, it's a matter of I don't fault anyone that you know you, you got safety concerns, you got family obligations. Sure. So like you know the idea of hey just moving to a state or getting a house that's tough, but. You can still train within the confines of social distancing quarantine. So the person's uh, conditioning should be at least, you know, good enough to work out, you know, at a gym and you don't feel winded. Basketball court's different. Now, not to be able to shoot, that is a little bit different, but you can still have a basketball in your hand at your place, doing some ball handling, doing some virtual stuff. So anyone, for any player, I don't sense that this has been the case, but it is a large league. If there's been any player that's just been chilling and they, they haven't been working out, like, shame on them. Like, that's BS. But, you know, I, I think that there is a clear division between the superstars and the role players that either, you know, have the means to have their own private court. Right. They have larger space than, you know, a lot of guys in the NBA who frankly don't have that. And, well, sure. You know, like everyone has different, you know, I'm talking yeah. about specifically like Chris Middleton said that he didn't touch a basketball for two yeah, or three months. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not flying with that. He, like, he shouldn't been touching a basketball. Right. Like I'm like, me and Colin were like, I'm like, I don't know. I don't want to be judgy. Like maybe he has a, a, a kid that has a pre-existing condition or something, but I'm like, I would still find a way to like go work out for two weeks at a place that had a court and then quarantine or something like Again, I don't know his situation, but it's you know we all know what everybody makes, unfortunately. So it's kind of like yeah. you know I don't know. For sure, like I'm with, I'm I'm totally fine. Like players aren't relocating because of safety, and, and you know everyone has families, but right. everyone can do some sort of quarantine workout at their place, and then if there's something outside their vicinity, you know whatever. The the interesting thing about the NBA, like just in general, not even during this pandemic, is you know, unless you're a star player, a lot of guys where they're staying, it's a rental apartment because it's such a fluid league. Like guys are getting trained or traded. And if they're buying a house, like just imagine how many times a role player might get traded. All of a sudden right. you have all these properties you're not no, using. Totally. So and why would you, I don't even think, cause we were talking about this in, at the beginning, yeah. like all, most of the, um, you know, veterans or, you know, guys with big contracts probably have courts at their house. And I'm like, not really. Like, I want to build the house of my dreams. I want it to be like an oasis. You know, I want to get away from yeah. work. You know, I don't I have as, access to as many facilities as I want. Why would I need to put a facility in my house? You know, you're yeah. talking about like Shaq, Shaq, Kobe, LeBron level stuff. Like, I don't imagine most guys have a whole court in their house. Yeah, for sure. So where I would draw the line with that is totally understand if guys haven't been had the chance to shoot. Right. No excuse for not handling the ball and just getting a workout. And I mean, you can do that easily. You know, I, I my place in Playa del Rey, I could easily work out every day, which I have been. Like, you, you can figure it out. Well, good for you. I've been trying to do that every day. I've not. I, I've had waves. You know, I'm like, you know, one week I'm good, and the next week I'm like, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's not my job, right? It's not my job. I don't get paid to work out. If I get paid to work out, then I would be doing it. I've been doing my actual job every day. Yeah, um, I mean, that's the thing. Like, you got the morning thing to go to the studio. Like, it's tough doing that. I mean, it's easier when you're just staying at home the entire day. Like, there, there's times you can just – I can do a full set of – push-ups and sit-ups like in between phone interviews or something like that you know i try to remind myself because like i started i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna do a, like a four minute song worth of abs every day right like i know i have four free minutes yeah um so if i don't do that i'm being like an, it's an official lazy day so i've been pretty good with that so i'm like you can lay on the floor and do four minutes of abs i don't even know if that's helping anything but like mentally i'm like at least i did something and anything helps and like my little cheat code i've done is like i'll either play music I'll like play DVR shows like while I'm doing that or like play a podcast and I feel like I'm being distracted and like productive yeah. in multiple ways. And then it's <laughs> like, yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm crushing it. Um, so the big question that, well, one of the many big questions, but we're, we're seeing some sports come back, right? MLS is back. Golf is back. NASCAR has been back. Um, you know, horse racing has been back. Uh, UFC has been back. And I've really not had, baseball's a little, it's a little echoey for, for my taste, but I don't care because I just want to see sports. So it really doesn't, I'm not one of those people that's like, I can't believe there's going to be no fans there. Like wear a mask, make it work. Okay. I'm not concerned about fans being there at this point, bigger picture. But I do think the NBA out of all the sports, because it is so intimate of a game, you have fans literally courtside the energy and the sound of the crowd is just a part of the game. They were going to be the ones who would be most up against it by not having fans there. Also, you know, they talk about it all the time in uh, during March Madness, you know, they have these games and these giant arenas and the depth perception uh, is different when you're playing in a bigger arena or a smaller arena or you're playing in a, in a, you know, gym, a high school gym or you're playing in an NBA arena. So for shooters, it matters as well. Do you think it's really going to affect the game? Now, obviously, emotionally, mentally, you know, having fans there cheering you on and all this stuff. We know that's going to affect everybody to some degree until they get used to it. And then it's, you know, it'll be different. But do you actually think that the that part of it, like the depth perception, the different environments, the sound, all of that's really going to to change the game, like the performance? I think opening weekend it will because of just the awkwardness and getting used to it and all that. And so, you know, I was asking uh, this question to coaches and they were saying, you know, a lot of times during the playoffs, Frank Vogel, the Lakers coach was saying a lot of times during the playoffs, you know, I'm shouting plays from the sideline because the crowd noise is so loud. And now he feels like, oh, I got to whisper because the other team and the, the live feed is going to pick it up and maybe I'll start holding a clipboard NFL style and cover my mouth, right? So, like, it's going to be little things like that. It's going to be, you know, a lot of the benches are going to try to, like, create fan energy to replicate, hey, there's no one in the stand. So that's going to be awkward the first weekend. And then I think everyone will just accept and feel like, you know what, it's out of my system we're here to hoop. I think the lingering things that will go on is the conditioning level, because even for the guys who, to what you were saying earlier, they're working out, they're shooting basketball, like they're still going to be out of shape, or they're still going to be rusty. And you just wonder, like, how long of a process will that be? Because a lot of these teams, like, they don't want this to be a boot camp 
this week. Like they don't want to run these guys into the ground because then they're going to get hurt. Right. So much as the coaches want them to, hey, let's start running some laps, doing some wind sprints. Like they also want to taper it. So it's going to be this like gradual process where, you know, guys are going to be fatigued and, you know, some guys will have some knick-knacked injuries. So there's going to be new lineup combinations. It's just going to be kind of messy, but I'm of the opinion that because of where we're at in the state of the world and, you know, for NBA fans in particular, they haven't seen a game. I think that they will appreciate that there is at least a product on the floor as long as there's the teams are trying. Like it's almost like this respectful feeling that, you know what, everyone's having their own sort of hardships, but we're in this together. And as long as you're just trying to plow through, that's all that matters. I think the danger is if for the teams that suddenly become mathematically eliminated, will they just start not giving a damn and not playing at all? And then that's where there's this slippery slope of the product just looks really bad. Yeah. I, I, I don't anticipate that there'll be a point where, where players will just stop trying because they haven't played in so long. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I personally like, I like you, I've never stopped working. So, which I'm super grateful for, because I know a lot of people that haven't been working and it's just, uh, if it was taken away from me for a couple months, like I wouldn't care if I had to work every day, you know, I just would, bur- I would be, I would rather burn myself out on it. <laughs> even if like no one was hearing it, in which case like someone's mathematically eliminated just to stay sharp for next year. But, um, but we'll see. There's a lot of, a lot of stuff up in the air. Thanks so much for, uh, taking the time today. I really appreciate it. I hope that you, uh, stay safe and, Honestly, like you're a part of history. So, you know, you're definitely going to be in some documentaries like 10 years from now. So that's cool. You know, like you, you're you're in the bubble. So you're a part of it now. Yeah, you're clairvoyant here. We got to save this footage for the documentary of your prediction here. But I'll, I'll take it, Joy. And it's much respect uh, for your work that you do with Colin. But just, you know, you given a really good voice with what's going on in the world with, you know, all the efforts that the NBA and everyone else is trying to do to address racism and everything going on. So much respect for you being a well-needed voice uh, in that conversation. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, stay safe. Um, try to have try to have some fun. Maybe pick up a new show. I never made it all the way through The Wire, so I'm doing that right now. Nice. I love that show. I got I, uh, the show I picked up during this time real quick. I got through all three seasons of Ozark. I absolutely loved it. Just, I Excellent. mean, it was a lot of WTF moments, if you know what I mean, but in a good way. <laughs> Ozark is so good. Did you watch, um, did you watch True Detective? I did not. I did. Uh, oh my God. What a blessing I'm giving you. Okay. True Detective. Season one. New things to watch. I did Ozark. I did Tiger King because I mean everyone was everyone, doing yeah. it. Uh, and, doesn't that seem that seems like a year ago? I know that was like early pandemic <laughs> where it didn't seem like it would be this bad, but here we are. Oh my God! Listen, True Detective season one. It's really dark, so I so I'm warning you now. It's it's dark content. But Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson, uh, performance of a lifetime. Matthew McConaughey just lives his life as the character in True Detective now. <laughs> oh, nice. nice. I don't think he's ever gotten out of character, but don't don't bother with any of the other seasons. Season one is the best ever. Uh, you'll love it. And it's eight it's eight episodes, so easy. I'll watch. mark it down on the to-do list. Yeah, let me know what you think. 
Um, but thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Be well. Thanks. What's up, Donnie? What's going on high-key, low-key this week? What's up? High-key, Cam Newton recently addressed the elephant in the room, the challenge of replacing the GOAT in New England. But he does acknowledge that the Pats are getting a ticked-off dog at quarterback. Low-key, Cam would have made an all-time great zoologist. He's got animal references for days. He just, like, keeps them coming out of his back pocket, out of his front pocket. It's awesome. He is. He is. Uh, and they're all very, like, timely and relevant, too, right? Yeah, I, exactly. I love this side of Cam Newton. Um, I love that he's sticking with his, like, original style. You know, he's at the round table with the hat and the flair and, you know, yeah. the wine. Um, and then he's also keeping it real. Like, replacing Tom Brady is, I mean, we've been talking about this for years. Like, who wants to be the guy to replace Tom Brady? But the reality is I don't, I don't really look at this situation that way. Now, the Jared Stidham situation was like, okay, you got to replace Tom Brady. Like, you, yeah, you in yeah. here, uh, everyone keeps talking about how great you are and how you know the system and what a good teammate you are and you're pitching us on this idea that you're really this sleeper that none of us know about and you're going to come out here and continue the legacy of the New England Patriots. But nobody really believed that. But I don't look at the Cam Newton situation that way. Cam Newton to me is not, it's not a long-term situation in New England, right? So, I mean, if it is, ends up being that great. But I'm really just looking forward to a very interesting, engaging season. And I hope he does well so that he ends up getting an opportunity for a longer contract somewhere else. It, it, it's just a bridge season situation to me, Cam Newton yeah. in New England. That's why I don't necessarily look at him as like replacing Tom Brady. I don't know that Patriots fans are looking at it that way because I don't think they look at it as a long-term situation. I don't know if Bill Belichick is looking at it as a long-term situation. If they had signed him to like a three-year deal, I'd be like, okay. like That's more of a commitment, yeah. They have we'll committed see. to you. You are next man up. But it doesn't really feel that way to me. So I understand where he's coming from. But I don't I don't look at it like that. Now, the whole, uh, you know, dog like ready to go thing that that I do agree with. And I think he's going to the perfect place for that, because New England peddles that propaganda throughout the building all day, every day. Anyway, that everyone's against New England and everyone's doubting them. And this year, they certainly they certainly are. Yeah, there's some, a, lot, a lot more truth to that than usual. Yeah. And they're bringing in the quarterback that people are the most skeptical about in the league. So I'm looking forward to it. You know, I've been uh, team cam all the way. So it's going to be a very conflicting season for me, but I'm just very interested to see what happens. And, and I think we're going to see a different cam because this is a different cam. Cam's coming from a place where he doesn't have great expectations on him. In fact, everyone expects him to fail. He's coming from a place where he's been turned down by the entire league, where yeah. he's been uh, let go by the Panthers. And he is now in a situation where he has to prove himself as opposed to coming in as the number one overall pick national champion Heisman. So this is a new space for him. I really want to see what he does with it. And I think they're going to be a lot better and he's going to be a lot better than people are expecting. Can't wait. All right. High key. Dana White is one step closer to living his dream as a martial arts movie villain. Low key. We love it. UFC 251 on Fire Island was a success. Let's keep it coming. It was awesome. I was really looking forward to it. Um, I I tweeted support of Masvidal. Uh, I had not seen the the Trump mask, or I probably would have not gone in that direction, even though he's a 305, 305 guy. Yeah. Um, but 
I did think it was a great fight. Thought it was very interesting. I know everybody hated the, you know, standing up against the fence, toe stomping, but it's a sweet science and styles make fights. So that was just one of those situations where he couldn't get on the ground with Usman. It was going to be over. And he did a great job of doing that. Coming in with six days notice to fight wow. Usman. I mean, you can't, right. you can't expect the fact that it went the, the distance to me, which I also didn't think was going to happen is impressive enough. Obviously Usman won that fight. And, and really I noticed something. Anytime you see a fighter who's kind of losing, mm-hmm. start smiling, you know it's a wrap. <laughs> yeah, you know it's exactly. a wrap. If you, if you whooping somebody's ass and you're smiling, then you know yeah. it's just going to get worse. But if you even slightly losing and you start smirking, I'm like, oh. What's happening here? <laughs> don't smile because you know it's just going to go downhill from there. I didn't exactly. think it was a bad fight. I enjoyed it. I thought the whole card was great. The Jose Aldo fight was really uh, – Hard to watch towards the end. I mean, I thought that the ref was going to call it, but, you know, he's he's Jose Aldo, so they wanted to give him a little more time. He was technically protecting himself, I guess, but it, it just got a little rougher there at the end. But kudos kudos to Dana White. He didn't listen to anybody. He had no time for your nonsense, and um, he's he's been killing it. They've been doing a really great job of testing guys, getting them out of there. If they test positive, right. bringing fighters in that are, that are safe and continuing the sport, managing it through a pandemic and putting on a great product – Without crowds, which I don't think has affected the product in any way. I mean, exactly. I, obviously, we all want fans to be at sporting events, but we don't need it for the television product. It just, it just has not. It's not bothered me at all not to have crowd sounds, uh, our crowd reaction, um, the walkouts to the to the to the ring or the octagon haven't changed for me. Um, so it's really not been that that different to me. Um, I don't watch. I don't watch for the crowd reaction anyway. So yeah, I, I've enjoyed it. I thought it was great, and um, and they just continue to crush it. And it's been really nice to have to have fights, you know, to have something to do, sit around on a Saturday night and watch. Yeah, and be some engaging. normalcy. Yeah. All right, high key. The drama, the intrigue, the speculation—it comes to an end. Dak Prescott is playing on a franchise tag, and he and the Cowboys can't resume negotiations until next year. Loki, Dak is one hundred percent right to bet on himself. This is the right move. Loki, no, he's not no. right to bet on himself. He's gonna get a he's gonna get a a guaranteed thirty one million this year, as we know, because he's on the franchise tag. I kind of cannot believe that the Cowboys are allowing this to happen. Now, the report from Clarence Hill is that they haven't negotiated since March, and I just don't know if that I don't know if that's on the Cowboys or if that's on Zach. But look, we're in a pandemic right now. You know, Peter Schrager made a really good point on the herd today. We're in a pandemic. Would you take a 10-year deal from an employer right now if you're mm. in a situation where you're the, you know, you're, you're the quarterback of the Cowboys yeah, for the next yeah, 10 years? I might That's take that. Point. I might take that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if I make, you know, I mean, end up making $10 million less than the next guy or whatever, but I've got security for the next 10 years where the cap is most certainly going to go down, I think I'm signing that contract. I'll take a four-year contract. Like, you have to look at the – at the economics and the situation. I don't know if he's going to get a big, a bigger contract than what was already offered to him. And like before pre pandemic, like, okay, cool. Like get as much money as you can. But, and and listen, I'm all for guys getting paid. Like it's not coming out of my pocket. It doesn't matter to me. You know what I'm saying? And he's playing on a fourth round rookie contract. He deserves his money, but you also have to be smart in how you manage the future. And right now we are in unprecedented times. So I don't know that there are going to be any more bigger deals coming up. 
I don't know what's going to happen next year with the cap. We're all anticipating it's going to go down because they're going to lose revenue from not having fans in the stands. So I really don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel about this. I don't think it's good for Dak. I don't like playing on franchise tags. If you're a quarterback, so much can happen. God forbid there's an injury situation or something else. And then, you know, you may not have another, another opportunity for that four-year deal. And the market for quarterbacks is saturated right now. It's not That's like true. it's been in the years past where everybody needs a quarterback and people are going to be, you know, crawling over each other to sign you to a multiple-year deal. So I don't know that it was the right move for Dak, honestly. I, I guess we're going to see how it plays out. I hope he does still get his money, but I just also hope that he's reasonable about it. Like, everybody's not going to get the Mahomes contract. We know that. But if you look at what it does for your career, your, like, mental health, your emotional health to just take money off of the table, you know, and you're in a stable situation. Yeah, I mean, like you're, security. you're with the Dallas Cowboys, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like you're with the Jags or, you know, the Browns, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like you're with an organization that, well, they haven't won a Super Bowl in a very long time, have been, you know, in the playoff conversation and they still are America's team and the number one sports franchise in the world. Like there is some value to that. So, I don't know. I really don't know how this is going to go long term for Dak. I'm just looking at it from a Kirk Cousins perspective is all. I feel like uh, Kirk Cousins was quoted as saying, uh, don't be afraid of the franchise tag. He's a man who has laid out something of a blueprint for an alternative route to getting paid. So I'm just I'm open to the idea of Dak doing a, a Kirk Cousins kind of a thing, but no, one up in him. I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. Like Kirk Cousins knows how to make money. If nothing right. else, that, that man can make some money now. <laughs> um, he took lots of money from Washington, who's now in yeah. a very bad quarterback situation. So it did yeah. not work out well for them. Uh, I yeah. don't think that Dwayne Haskins is the guy. So, I mean, even, even if he doesn't end up being the guy this year, for the last couple of years, it certainly hasn't worked out for them. So I'm with right. you there, but I just think pandemic's changed everything. I don't know if that money's going to be there. That's a good point. Nothing's guaranteed. Yep. Hi, T. What's in the culture report this week? Hey, Joy. Girl, it's still early in the week and I'm already over it. Um, Naya Rivera's body was found in Lake Peru uh, on Monday and it's such a tragedy. Um, she was missing for five days and I think like everyone, including myself, just praying for her to be found alive. But I just can't imagine like what her son was feeling in that moment. I guess it was reported that they went swimming together. And then when she helped him into the boat, he like saw her disappear under the surface of the water. So him only being four years old, I, I can't imagine how he felt in that moment. And now he has to grow up without a mother. And my heart like hurts for him and her family. It's just, it's a tragedy. Yeah, it's it's been a really rough week. And that's... It, it, just a devastating story and then of course you know she had such a major role on a such a popular sh show in glee and you know and there's been a lot of tragedies surrounding that show as well but yeah my my heart just goes out to her family her sister nikaila and her brother um the seeing this the picture of her mother on the dock with her hands open like it's just it's just heartbreaking it's really sad um, so definitely, you know, praying for her and her family and friends. It's just, it's been an awful, awful year. Girl, it has. And I feel like ugh, I'm just, whew, I feel like it just keeps getting worse. I mean, uh, John Travolta, he posted on Instagram that his wife, Kelly Preston, died on Monday. And she was only 57 and she passed away from a two-year battle of breast cancer. And I'm like, this is so sad. And 
You know, I remember her, my first memory of her was um, in Jack Frost. You know, I loved that movie as a kid. And so when I saw that, I was like, oh, my heart hurt. And then I remember a few years ago that, there, well, it was probably like 10 years ago now, but their son, Jet, I think he was like 16 or something when he had died. And so now I'm like, she leaves behind her daughter who can't be no older than like 20. And I know their son, um, I think his name is Benjamin. Yeah, Benjamin. He's like nine. So it's just heartbreaking. I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, it's so, a lot of tragedy. Just, and a lot of people didn't know, I didn't know that she was she was even battling breast cancer. She's definitely a Hollywood uh, sweetheart. So, you know, prayers to her yeah. family also. Just really sad news. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, on, on a po more positive note, um, Javisha Leslie has been cast as a new Batwoman. Um, that's huge. You know, this gorgeous woman is the first black actress to play the iconic role of Batwoman on television. And I'm excited. This is this was long overdue. This is the type of change I like to see more black women in leadership roles. And I love this because she's not going to play Kate Kane, who was Ruby Rose's character in season one. She's going to play a whole new character, Ryan Wilder, for the show's second season. So it's supposed to come out in January 2021. I'm hoping that they don't extend it because I'm super excited. I can't wait to watch. <laughs> yeah, I love this. And she's also bisexual as well, um, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. So lots of representation there. I love Ruby Rose's character. Like I, I'm a big Ruby Rose too. fan, um, but this was a really nice change. I'm excited to see what she does. She's obviously very beautiful and talented, but I love superheroes and it's about time we get like a solid <laughs> Batwoman <laughs> so, or Catwoman. Um, so I'm really looking forward to just seeing this. Yeah, same, can't wait. All right, so talk of the week. Jada in August. So Jada Pinger brought herself to the Red Table Talk, confirmed her relationship with August, as we know. And um, uh, we know he talked about it with Angela Yee, amongst other things. So I watched the August interview, Joy. I felt one way. I watched Red Table Talk. I felt another way. And I do see how people can have different perspectives based off of, I guess, where you are in your life and what you've been through. Because from August's standpoint, I can see people saying some publicity stunt because of the album dropping. But you can also hear the pain in his voice when he's talking about all the things he's gone through with the health issues, losing his sister, raising her kids. And it's like, I'm conflicted, Joy, because we tell men to express themselves. And when they do, they're ridiculed. And we can't put a time limit on people's healing. But then from Jada's standpoint, I can see why people are saying she preyed on him when he was broken. But what if she and Will thought they were done? You know, being broken doesn't have an age limit attachment. If there's two broken people, we all know that they can't heal each other. So... Jada not telling people about this, I don't feel like, I think that's her choice. You know, this doesn't discredit her for starting the Red Table Talk because I think people give advice based on what they've experienced. So if you don't go through anything, you can't talk about it. But I will say, Joy, that there's definitely a double standard. People are so caught up in the word entanglement. Like, if the roles were reversed, this was an older man and younger woman, Joy, people would be outraged. They would. They would be outraged. I mean, he is illegal, yeah. He is how old? 20 years old? He's 27. I'm sorry, 27. So this happened when he was He's what? He's 27. This happened when he was what? A girl, like, like four years ago. Okay, so he was 24, maybe 23 years old. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not a baby, okay? I mean, if we're talking about an 18, 19-year-old kid, okay. But 23, 24 years old, like you are of age to make a decision like this. Now, granted... I understand he was going through some things. So I see why, you know, the age mixed with his struggles, 
could lend people to think that Jada was preying on him. But I don't look at it as a preying situation. Like people can trauma bonds. She is going through something. He is going through something. Now look, is she older? Does she have more experience? Does she have more money? Um, does she have more power? Sure. But I don't think that, I, I don't look at it as a situation where she's like, oh, I'm gonna take advantage of this kid. You know, it is still Jada. She can get a man, many of them. So it's not like she needs the situation where she needs to like, or no one else is going to talk to her or mess with her, or be around her. Like she's spending time with him. They're going through something. She's helping him through that. Maybe he's helping her, and that's how the entanglement happens. So I'm not judging. Yeah. I'm not judging either side when it comes to why they got involved with each other. Like right. Will and Jada Same. made it very clear they thought they were no longer going to be together. Now I've been married yeah. and divorced and engaged. So I know what these, the intricacy and the pressures of these situations can, can put on people. And when you choose to separate your, like there's sometimes there's a separation. It's like, okay, we're technically separated, but we ain't together. Like we're not living together. We don't speak. We are in the process of a divorce. We're not together. Like technically, am I still legally married? Yes, but we are not, in, we, that, that is not happening. Like that person doesn't even exist in my world. Now we don't know if that's the point where they got or where they were at that time, but they made it very clear, like they've already even talked about this. So them having to come to the table to talk about it was, as Will said, black Twitter's made it their business. Like people are talking about it. So we have to address it because we're public figures and that's part of the deal. Like that's part of the trade for being in, a, in the public eye. Like sometimes you have to talk about and address things that otherwise would be private. Like people go through this stuff all the time. They just don't have to sit at the red table talk and tell it to the, the, to the whole world. And I don't look at it as a toxic relationship with Will and Jada either, because they've been together, like they said, for 27 years. It's real cute and easy to say that you want somebody who's just gonna be blindly faithful to you for your entire life. And like, yes, that's wonderful. And that that's what everyone wants, right? But life changes and things happen. And you with the same person for 27 years, you're gonna go through some shit. And it's not always just about other people. It can be money issues. It can be health issues. It can be family issues. It can be job issues. It can be self-esteem issues, mental health issues. There's all kinds of stuff that you go through. Think about what you've been through yourself just in the last 10 years. Now pair it with another person and what they could possibly going through, be going through for the last 10 years. So to say just a blanket statement that they don't have a good relationship, I'm sorry. I look at that as the complete opposite. It's sad that August's feelings are hurt and I understand that and I have sympathy for him because it's hard to go through a breakup regardless of whether she's in a relationship or not. That wasn't the case when they, you know, the entanglement started. You know what I'm saying? We don't know what their arrangement was with Will and Jada when that when their separation came out. And obviously you could see that like Will was hurt by it, but they've already talked about it. Communication, being able to look across from somebody that you that's your family and tell them and talk about something that clearly hurt them and explain yourself, that's very difficult to do. Most people are not honest with themselves, let alone out loud to another person, let alone publicly to the whole world. So do I think it lacked a little bit of sympathy for August? Yes, I do. But I also think like we all go through breakups and people get dumped and it's really hard and we can all sympathize because we've all been there. I just think it was a situation that happens and like when feelings get involved, stuff can go bad. But I don't think anyone took advantage of anybody and as far as their relationship goes, shoot. I hope I end up in a relationship with someone for 27 years that can forgive me for something like that. That's that's one, that's a great relationship. That's real shit. 
Yeah. And they, and if you think about it too, I mean, August, I watched the August interview. He only talked about it for a little bit. And then on the Red Table Talk, they, I mean, they talked for like, what, 10 minutes? So it's like, we don't even really have, we don't really know how deep it was. We, we, only, we only got like a snippet of what it actually was. So if you were to say things like, oh, she prayed on him. It's like, I can see why you could say that if you've been prayed on before, because you're speaking from probably your experience or what you know. But, right, like, but he's not a baby. Not the case. He's not a. He was not a child. Right. He, he was right. He was legal. He was very yeah, legal. Like I said, he was in his mid twenties. Yeah, I understand she's much older, yeah. but people get with people who are older than them all the time. That doesn't necessarily the mean they're yeah. being taken <laughs> advantage of. Like I don't know the the intricacies of the situation, but I did not look at it like that. For, just based off the information that we have. I did not look at right. it as a predatorial situation. Like Jada was going through something too. If they were just together and they're thriving, her and Will, and like then something happens and this was like they weren't in a break and all that, then, I, then maybe I could be like, okay, I don't know about that. But that wasn't the case. So you have to consider right. all, all of it around. I don't even really feel comfortable like having an opinion about it because. Right. It's like we're talking about these people like we know them. And I know like when people talk about me, I'm like, you don't know. Like, You don't have any idea what actually happened at all. Like not even in the slightest. So and then like people, you know, people will have whole conversations about you off of one small piece of information as if like they know you and they've been with you shooting in the gym and they're not. So I always feel weird having these like deep convicted feelings but you know we're talking about this all together based off you know what we know and that's just how i feel like relationships i think we get this idea especially our generation that relationships are supposed to be like this what we plan for them to be and like they should be a hundred percent this and you know, I want this. And if, if, if it ain't like this, it ain't for me. If he doesn't cry when I walk down the aisle, it ain't for me. And like all these, ex or if he doesn't get him with this ring or this attitude or whatever, and it's like, you know, you don't really want a relationship. You want an idea. And real relationships yeah. are hard. And even if you love the person, they're hard. And you've you talked to anybody who's been in a really long relationship, they will tell you like, there's been times where I literally hated them. So imagine someone that yeah. you hate and then working through that to a point where you love them again. That's a lot. That's a different level of intimacy yes. and respect and energy. And we're quick to we're quick to quit on stuff. So to me, like they don't have a toxic relationship. If they can even talk about it and still sit across from each other and, and smile, that's that's incredible to me. But I have a real it's not I'm not gonna be, you know, elitist about it. I just have a better idea of what relationships are because it's hard. It's not easy. Like it's a commitment that's for life. It's hard and you better have somebody who's really down for you and really respects you. And that's what I do think that they have. Yeah. I mean, I commend them from going on the, on there and talking about it because they better than me. I wouldn't have done it. I feel like it's nobody's, it's no one's business. So you know me. But yeah, exactly. We're able to come together. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, you know me. It ain't, <laughs> ain't nobody's business. I ain't telling my business. Nope. Right. Nope. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you catch us next week as well. Subscribe on YouTube at Maybe I'm Crazy Podcast. Follow us on our social media pages at Maybe I'm Crazy Pod, and you can listen to the podcast on all podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and the iHeartMedia app. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next week. Maybe I'm crazy, maybe I'm not. Ooh.